Hinchcliffe can really veer the ball in with his left foot. Does it with pace and swerve. But McManaman only to Mark Wall. It's in through the crowd like an arrow into the corner of the Liverpool net. Ward. Well, they've let him go a long way, and Mark Ward has taken full advantage of it. He's picked up Ward. Driven there by Ward. Magnificent goal. Knocked across there, a goal from Mark Ward. Ward is first of the season. Drives it. It's a goal. A great goal from Mark Ward. That's his first in the league this season. And what a valuable one. Hello, welcome to Across the Park Extra, an Everton FC special. Myself, Ian Mills, alongside Gary Judge, as always, and we're delighted to be joined by an Evertonian, someone who supported the club from a young age. He played for the club, and he put the ball in the Gladys Street against that lot as well at Goodison Park in 1993. He's got some stories to tell, and we're going to get them from him tonight. It is, of course, Mr. Mark Wards. Mark, thanks for joining us in Across the Park. How are you doing? Great, lads. Uh... Down in Essex at the moment, as you know, but uh, you know, it's a difficult time for everybody. But I'm, as you know, I've got my badge on there, the blue t shirt of Capital yeah. Water, who I'm working for down here. So, yeah, I'm doing okay considering you know the times that we've got. It's a, it's a difficult time, isn't it? No, it, it is. We're going to look back on some some happy times in your Everton career, but before we get to that, you you grown up an Evertonian, a young boy. Can you give us your favorite memories as, as young Evertonian players, games? Yeah, well, you know, obviously, I was born in Evertonian. My dad was in Evertonian, and uh, you know, it was always my club. And uh, no, I was lucky enough to be involved with the club from uh, the age of twelve. Um, obviously, playing around the Heighton, Wiston, and Prescott area, uh, I was picked up by uh, what you know, one of the scouts was at a game, and then asked my dad if I could go and train on a Tuesdays and Thursday nights. So, and I don't know, I remember Ray Minshall. He was ahead of uh, all the youth at the time. You know, he got me to be a ball boy. So I used to be a ball boy at uh, Goodison, nice. which was, you know, nice. at the time was Stevie McMahon there as well and a couple of other, uh, Gary Stevens. And, uh, you know, just to run onto the pitch, to run across, you know, the pitch and get onto the other side of the pitch mm-hmm. in front of thousands of uh, supporters. You know, you got the feel as that you wanted to be a player even more so, you know. Well, the big big moment for you, I guess, was or the f- big first moments in your football career was 1978 being actually signed as an apprentice and then latterly your pro contract, your first pro contract in 1979. How, how did that feel, having gone from the ball boy, you know, big fan, to, to actually getting that contract as a player? Well, you know, obviously it's very competitive because there was all the best players around the country, you know, and uh, I remember like Gary Stevens, the great player, who played for Everton and then, and then England as a right-back, he was in the same position as me. And, uh, you know, he had to compete with the likes of players like that who, you know, for a, a, an apprenticeship place. And uh, obviously, me being very small, uh, that was always going to go against me. And uh, But luckily enough, you know, I played enough games and, and just competing with the likes of Gary. And, uh, you know, Gary was like Northumberland champion at 100, 200, 400 metres and... Uh, I was always a, a competitor and I always remember trying to beat him in sprints and being sick, you know, really physically sick uh, because <laughs> put that much effort in. And uh, I always had the ability, but it was just my stature that was going to go against me. But, you know, Everton gave me the opportunity and uh, 
it was a, a great moment when I went home to my dad and said, I'd, you know, they'd offered me an apprenticeship. But uh, I always remember as well, uh, you know, they were always worried about, you know, me strength and everything else. And uh, we went to Groningen. Uh, I was 17 then, and uh, it was an international tournament in Groningen. Uh, and I only, only, they only took me there uh, because Graeme Sharp was on uh, Scottish Youth International Duty. So it was like an thought really and uh, I thought you know to get me pro contact I've got to start playing well and I was they put me in the team and uh, I actually unplayed at the tournament um, which is a f- fantastic achievement when you think the likes of Ronald Koeman was playing against us for Groningen and uh, wow. there was some top international sides and Steve McMahon played Gary Stevens uh, Kevin Richardson uh, we had a great side and we, we won the competition and you know straight away I think they had to sign me as a pro, but uh, only lasted a year. And then the great Gordon Lee made the decision to let me go. Well, I mean, I've, I've read your book a couple of times, Mark, and one of the best stories in there, and you you call it yourself a bird's eye view of watching Andy King wind Gordon Lee up. I mean, I was laughing at some of the stories. Can, can you give us some, on, some memories of that on the podcast? Yeah, King, he was, you know, as an apprentice, you've got to look after, I think it was six players, so you've got to do the boot to the kit for them six players and you, you know it was good grounding they don't do it now and I think you know the youngsters should they should be doing something in that sort of manner you know what I mean to uh, just to build their character up but the game's changed so much now but with me King he just took a, a liking to me and he said you're my apprentice and I you know I was from originally from Aiton and I could stick up for myself and I, and I said listen you're, I'm not just your apprentice I've got five others. He said, no, you're my apprentice and you do as you're told. I'll look after you if you look after me. <laughs> and King was a real to himself. You know, uh, I got got on with him brilliantly and I'd go to shops for him. I'd put his bets on for him. Uh, Kingy was a bit of a rebel, um, especially if Everton won on the Saturday. He probably didn't go home till the Monday uh, and he'd come in, he'd come in pissed a lot. <laughs> uh, and he'd argue with Gordon. Or he'd come in uh, about 20 minutes late. Everyone was doing the warm-ups. I'd be summoned off the, the training pitch. And uh, he'd be in the dressing room, quickly getting his gear on. And he'd want to know what was happened or what's been said. And uh, and then he'd come out and uh, he'd, he'd be told that he had to train with the, the young kids, which he did. Uh, but me and Andy, uh, you know, we met each other a lot after after he left the club and I left the club and he was always there for me, you know, to, to speak to him on the phone and, uh, you know, he done well, Kingy, when he left Everton, uh, you know, management and, and uh, scouting. So, yeah. but what a great character and what a great footballer as well. Yeah. Well, before we continue, Kareem, you touched on something there and we've asked, we've tried to ask most of our, our guests this question or I certainly have. Um, the game has changed a lot. Um, obviously, you've now, there's now no reserves anymore. There's now the, the 23s, if you will. What are your thoughts on on, on the pathway now that, that youth players have got to kind of try and navigate to get through to the first team? So you've got, obviously, a similar, there's still a similar setup in the sense of, you know, YTS or whatever, but, you know, going on to that under-23s after it, as opposed to going and playing first-team football? I can only go on my, uh, what happened to me, really. And yeah. uh, whenever it let me go and Gordon said to me that day... Uh, you know, you never be big enough, strong enough or quick enough to make it at the top level. You know, 
it was a it was a big blow. And I remember going home and crying to my dad because I was so upset. But he said to me, Mark, he said, you know, in a couple of years' time, I think you'll get stronger and you'll get fitter. And so I worked up my, uh, my strength in the gym and I did get very quick, to be honest. It was, it was you know, in, in the space of two years. But one of the best things that ever happened to me in football um, was for me to go and play it in the conference level. So, I, you know, I was disappointed, but I still love the game. I know the clubs come in for me. And uh, I remember going for the trial at North, which uh, Tony Murphy, my mate, even to this day, he worked at Ford. He was the left back there. And uh, he lived he lived in Wiston, so I knocked on his door. And uh, he come to the door. He had a big, like, uh, load of typical scouts, loads of, loads of air, uh, and in his underpants, his white fronts. And I th- looked at him and I thought, you, Tony? And he went, yeah. And I went, read that, mate. And it was a telegram to our house to say, you know, to go for the trial. And he looked at me and I looked at him and I thought, he had ties, I swear to God. I thought, he's too fat to play football. When I- <laughs> so he went in and said to his missus, his missus said, who was that? I said, oh, some little lad. Some little lad's coming for the trial at Northridge. He's got no chance. So I went home and my dad said, what was the fella like? What was he like, Tony? I said, fuck. Dad, I said, he was fat as a bear. I said, I don't think he'd be able to run. Anyway, he picked me up and, uh, and his ill and imp and took, took me to Northwich and, you know, a little ground, uh, a very famous old non-league club and they were playing Bolton and uh, I just watched Tony's game and no one ever got past him because he just booted them up in the air. Typical the non-league player, but there were some, some good players and I went on with 20 minutes to go and took the piss and the, the manager... I was on the dole at the time and he got me in his office uh, a fella called Rami Robertson he, he offered me 60 quid a week he said uh, and it's the best thing I ever did because them two years at Northwich made me a player because I was 18 and the next youngest in the side was 28 so I was playing against proper seasoned professionals or semi-pros some of the lads had played at a top level and uh, was coming down but uh, you know what a, a learning curve for me I've become a man within two years playing a game and I've always said this you see these kids now at the academies at 18 and they're going through different age groups. But when they come up against a proper man or a, a man who is, you know, physically hardened and he's got that experience to use his nose against the kids, the kids haven't got a chance. You've got to be exceptional to get into a, a, you know, a Premier League side now from, you know, from a young age. And I used to love the process of being like schoolboy, B team, A team, reserves, first team. Now, uh, I spoke to a couple of lads a while back. If you were that BT and A team league, you'd have like a, you know, it's all like the Northwest teams, Blackburn, Oldham, you Man United, Man City, Everton, Liverpool. You know, if lads were coming back, you know, seasoned professionals, you know, you could be playing against a top top international at A team level and, and reserves. And to, to me, that was the better way of doing things than this uh, academy sort of age group thing. Yeah, I completely agree, Mark. And I'm just thinking about or reflecting on what you just said then about that getting that knockback, you know, and, and having to kind of pick yourself up and go and go again. They don't seem to they don't get that. They, they get kept for another three or four years and it's a false, false dream for them, you know, that they, they, they're still they're still getting the you know the free boots every every week. They're still they're still driving around in a nice car and on a on a decent salary. But then two or three years later, they're out in their ass and they got nothing because they still thought it was gonna happen for them. And some of them can't deal with the disappointments. We all get disappointed in life. And, and in life, yeah. no one knows that more than me. 
sometimes in life you've got to go backwards to go forwards. And uh, I was I felt wanted at Northwich and uh, someone's put it there uh, because the FA Cup last night and someone put something on Facebook this morning about mm. uh, we had a good FA Cup run at Northwich and we beat Chester with a league side. And Johnny King, the old Sammy manager, he become the manager at Northwich and he really helped my uh, enhancements into the game because... He made me stronger and fitter. He used to take me take me after training and throw a medicine ball at me to do sit ups and, and do, you know sprints and things like that. And he was he was really instrumental in helping me uh, progress as a player. And he said to me, "Mark, I'm putting you up front tonight." Uh, it was a month we, we drew at Chester on the Saturday, and it was a, I think it was a Monday or Tuesday night, and it was it battered down all day. Every game was called off by that game. Uh, we shouldn't have really played it, but. He said, "I'm putting you up front because you know you, you've got you've got quicker and I scored too, and uh, you know that was I think the next day it was like dull kid, dull kid Ward sinks uh, league, league side and all that, and uh, you know when you when you're at a club like that and they respect you and they look after you, you know you, you play you play you play a part in it, and I always think I've always give youngsters who've been at clubs go back, you'll find your own level one day, you'll will find your level if you're good enough." And you go from, say, Everton or Liverpool down to the conference and you're playing every week, you should stand out. If you're any good, you will stand out in, in that level. And if you're consistent and you're doing the right thing, you won't be there long. But some of them haven't got the heart to do it. And it's, uh, you know, it's the message I always give out. It was a hard way back for me to come back to, to Everton. But, you know, eventually the hunger and desire that I had and the, the want and, and, like, the sort of determination, I got it. And, uh, you know... I can say I was a little bit lucky, but all hard work and that is, you know, you, you don't get nothing for you know, if you don't put your hard work in. And just one of the, uh, I always remember Tony used to work at Ford, Tony Murphy, the lad that first took me down there. I still see him to this day. He's a cracking lad that lives in, over in Frodsham. And uh, I, I couldn't get to training at Northwich uh, if Tony was working nights for Ford. So I'd missed training loads. And uh, before Johnny King, the great Sammy manager, joined the club, I was injured and uh, I was back fit again and he hadn't put me in the team. And I always remember the conversation with him. And he, I said to him, uh, he put me a, a substitute, uh, altering him away. And it, it, it stopped the goals uh, leaking in and he'd done a good job. So for the first five games, he, he didn't play me. And I said to him, if you don't play me next week, I'm leaving the club because I'm your best player. <laughs> and he's, he, he went... I believe he can play a bit, son. He said, but how can, I, how can I play you when you can't even get to training? And I looked at him like that. So he'd he spun it back on me. He was quite clever at that, John. And I, I thought, fair enough. So on that Tuesday, Tony was working, working again, nights at Fords. So I thought, well, I'll run. I'll run to training and I'll show him how much wow. I want it. So we used to train at the, the Guinness factory on the other side of Runcorn. And I was living in Whiston at the time. Wow. Yeah, I thought to myself, oh, I'll, I'll be able to do it. And I didn't realise, I didn't realise how far it was. And uh, I think I got to 15 and a half miles. <laughs> and, uh, so I, I, I got there and uh, just in time for training, and I, I walked into the dress, dressing room and he said, good evening, son, how did you get here? I said, I ran here, John. He went, you've ran here? I went, yeah, he said, that's a good attitude, son. He said, do your training. He said, I'll get someone to drop you off on the way home. And uh, he played me on the Saturday and I scored at Atsik. And I never looked back. And he always says that showed him that I wanted it. Well, that, 
that, that attitude and application was rewarded when Big Joe Royal came in for you from Oldham. What are your memories of, of that that move and, and and of Joe, you know, your first impressions of Joe? Unbelievable. Um, Everton legend. And when John John said to me, Mark, there's loads of clubs sniffing for you. And, and he said, I'm not letting you go to, uh, I'm going to let you go to a club that's going to look after you and a manager. And then when Joe Royal rang, rang the house, he said, Mark, where's your no, Liverpool for the drink. I said, everywhere. <laughs> he said, <laughs> me and the uh, the baby elephants in Wilton Village. He said, I want to come down and speak to you. And like, I was so excited. And uh, it was six o'clock. And uh, I sat there and he come in and he said, he said, I've watched you 14 times. Son. He said, and uh, the board of directors don't think it's a, it's a good idea to spend nine and a half thousand pounds on a non-league player. He said, but he said, I'm confident that if you, need, if you make one appearance this season, you'd have vindicated the fee. He said, but I can only offer you £130 a week. I said, well, I'm, I said, with me north, it's money. I've just got a job uh, as well. I'm earning, I'm earning more than that now. And he said, well, that's all I can offer you. So I took like a £70 a week dropping wages to go to all. Right. And, you know, they were the second division and, you know, behind the old first division. So second tier of English football. But And it was only a week to go before the season started started and uh, I remember uh, he he was just made up that I signed and he, I think he had the confidence in me but I don't think he knew uh, what, what you know what was going to happen and I trained first two days and I went home to me dad and I said dad no one can get near me in training I said I'm the best player here he went oh, you've only been there five minutes come on son and there was some great players Martin Buck and the, the ex Man United captain, the Scottish captain, he he just signed. And it was all like the ex-Man City players, Roger Palmer, Kenny Clements, Tony Henry. So they had some really experienced players. And uh, Joe McBride was there, ex-Everton. And uh, I, play, I played a behind, behind closed doors game and I scored two. And I said to me, Dad, Dad, if he doesn't play me for me the debut on Saturday, I'll be amazed. And after training on the Friday, he said, come here, come here, and he called me over and he went, he said, I can't believe how well you've done in training since you've been here. He said, I'm putting you in for your league debut on Saturday. I said, I should think so as well. And he just <laughs> laughed, Joe. He just loved my sort of, and it wasn't arrogance. It was sort of, you know, because I'd been let go from Everton and that disappointment. And I, I, I knew my quality and I, it was just about, about my sort of uh, physicality, really. And I'd got that in them two years at Northwich and uh, it couldn't have gone any better. Like we played Brighton on the Saturday. I had a good game and in the last minute, uh, the fullback overlapped the wing and he, he put a cross to the far post. And the only way I could get it was to, was to dive at it. And it, the keeper come out and I thought, there's only one winner here, mate. Oh. And it hit me head right into the top corner. And we won 1-0. And I met, after the game, I was walking off the pitch and Joe just picked me up and kissed me on the top of the head. And uh, I was there for two years and I never missed a game. I never missed a game in two years. And he said, it's the best nine and a half thousand pounds they'll ever spend. Class. So you sold, sold, sold me for a quarter of a million. Yeah. Right. And I never got, never got a carrot. <laughs> there was no eight then, was there? There was no oh, eight. God, yeah. He just, he just rang me up one night, Joe, and said, John Lyle will be at the house. Uh, within an hour, you're signing for West Ham. 
1985, wasn't it, the West Ham? Yeah. Um, I've been doing a little bit of research on, on your West Ham days, and you're an absolute legend down there. I mean, events and, and fan groups and things, I think you're part of an amazing team. And I'm looking at that 85-86 West Ham team. Kenny Dalglish called it the best footballing team in England at the time, finishing third behind yeah. Liverpool and Everton. How, looking back, how special was that, that team and that era for you at West Ham? Well, I always see McAvenny and he, him and Cottage scored fifty-eight that season mm. between them, which is uh, wow. you know as a as a duo up front, you know they were they were unplayable. And I think Kenny was right. Uh, you know, Frank, you know, still speaks to Kenny. He said, Dudley's always said West Ham were the best side, and that's and we beat Liverpool and Everton. And you know what? For a side that that season, uh, John Lyle, the great manager there, he, he only had two two signings. That was me and Frank. Uh, Frank signed from St Mirren obviously I signed from Oldham and we were you know people said it were these two but uh, Alvin Martin my captain he always, I seen something that he put What was it, why was it the success that we had in 86 and he said because we signed two players one from Glasgow and one from Liverpool they both didn't uh, you know they, they were both rough and ready they were both very quick uh, they weren't scared of any anything or anybody and they just give us that sort of because West Ham were a nice little footballing team the season before but I think me and Frank just give them another dimension you know what I mean and we were both winners really and you know it's great for Dagley to say that very honest of him and uh, we just run out, ran out of games really at the end of the season and for me to play with the likes of you know Phil Parks Alvin Martin Tony Gale uh, Cotty and McAvenny uh, Devonshire was unbelievable one of the best players or if not the best player I played with. And, uh, you know, we're revered as, like, legends, and it's a bit uncomfortable for me because we never won nothing. But that's the closest they've ever, ever been. Mm. You know, this, the, you know they've never been. Like, when you think about it, it was Liverpool and Chelsea uh, at Stamford Bridge. If Liverpool hadn't beat Chelsea, it'd have been Everton West Ham for the Championship. Yeah. And that's wow. how close they were. That's how close they were. And they're still... You know, we still have Legends days down here. And uh, it's funny because when I see Reedy and all the boys, they go, Legends? Can you swear on this or what? Can yeah, you, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, go on, crack on. Yeah, because I'm, I'm terrible. <laughs> Legends. <laughs> Legends? Fucking hell, you never won anything. You know what I mean? So, <laughs> but that's, you can say that when you've been, you know, in a great Everton side of the 80s, you know what I mean? So, yeah, yeah. I just wish I'd have been part of that. But, you know, it was a great... I went from Oldham to West Ham and that that gave me a platform to improve as a player because, you know, like Everton, you know, it's a school of science, the academy, and they were great. They played the game the right way. Yeah. What's the what's the difference, Mark, in, in living in London and living on Merseyside? Is, is it night and day or is it very similar? Uh, it is a bit different. You know, it's I've only got a little flat down here now and I lived in uh, Essex when I was down here in the 80s. But, I, I've always kept, you know, I met a lot of friends outside football. I've always kept in touch with them. Mm. So it wasn't, you know, it was easy for me to, to relocate here, especially when I got a job. But uh, I'm quite adapt adaptable because I could live anywhere. You know, when people speak about me, uh, I played in a Merseyside derby. I played in a Manchester derby, a London derby and a Birmingham derby. So you know, I played in all the major cities in the country. That's so. like a quiz question, that. <laughs> Yeah, it's a good one actually. But, you know, um, I still, you know, the Liverpool uh, Merseyside derbies, that's the one for me. But you know, it's great to have played in all the major cities and I've lived there. So, but yeah, I'm I'm, I'm very adaptable. I can live anywhere. I mean, 
Well, touching on those big games, Mark, obviously the 80s was a proper man's game then. You know, you spoke about the fact that you, you felt you needed to adapt yourself and, and build up that physical profile to, to cope with it. Any players that stuck out to you that you played against who, who were the, you know, the real tough tough opponents and, and you know, with, with difficulty on that side of it? Yeah, that's a good question because when I, when I get asked this question, I think in the, in the 80s, all the left-backs... Oh, a lot of them were called psycho. Right, yeah. <laughs> There's, well, the original psycho, first player ever to be called psycho was a David Cross, who was a centre forward at West Ham. And I played with him at Oldham at the end of his career. And it was the West Ham fans who, who, who you know, nicknamed him psycho. Lovely, lovely man. Met him a couple of years ago at a, an event. And he just put his head anywhere and he, you know, he'd come off the pitch and he, they always used to call him a psycho. And then obviously there was the ones. I played against was Stuart Pearce, uh, Mark Dennis, proper psychopath, uh, Van Der Nau. was the worst. No, I said to Pat, I said to Pat about two years ago at the game, I said, and I'd done a, I'd done a little uh, Q&A with him. I said, Pat, you were the dirtiest player I've ever played against. He went, I can't even remember kicking you. I said, kicking me? <laughs> i tell you what he did. We played that last game of 86, right, for the, who was going to be second in the league, Liverpool had won it, and it was a bit of a damp squid, the game. Everton murdered us, I think it was 3-1 or 3-0, uh, and there was about five minutes to go. Right, Everton have won the game, and I'm just jogging up the pitch to see see the game out, and he just comes up to me and just boots me right at the top of me, right between my legs, took me off my feet, more or less. And BD seen it, and I've just gone up, and he, it's like, uh, <clears throat> I'm looking up at him like that, and I, and he said, Pat, what are you doing? He said, I don't, f- I don't fucking like him. That was it. <laughs> but that's how bad he was, you know what I mean? He was just like, now to me, that's like, it's a bit naughty. I could always look after myself. But, uh, you know, Mark Dennis had a c- couple of punches off him off the ball. I mean, proper proper digs and, and Pierce. Well, me and Stuart had a, a lot of history where, like at the time, uh, Forrest had a good team and I always remember the first game I played against him, he went over the top of me and he cut me just above uh, just above my boot and uh, I didn't have an opportunity to get him back because I was terrible for like anybody. You know, I wanted my revenge really. And uh, I had a little stitch put in it at half time and then I thought, I'll wait, I'll wait my time and I was just waiting on his touch and the centre half knocked the ball out to me, he opened himself up and I hit him. But I got the ball, but I went right off my feet. And I hit him that hard, I swear to God, I nearly shit myself. I thought, he's not getting up here. It was, right, and he just got up, and I got up, and I looked at him, and he must have thought, where the fuck has he come from? Because I, I shouldn't have been on the pitch. And within t- t- 10 minutes, we were uh, 2-0 up. I just I t- took the piss out of him, and the cottage scored two. And uh, a big big accolade for me was, Brian Clough said, take Ward to the World Cup. He's just destroyed the best left-back in the world. And... Uh, it was funny when I was in prison in Walton. I wasn't really, I, I did write a book because of the, the publishers wrote to me to write a book. But me, uh, a couple of lads in there, one of them come up to me and said, Mark, um, I'm reading Stuart Pierce's, Stuart Pierce's book called Psycho. Uh, do you want to know what he said about you? And I thought, oh, probably, you know, dirty there something like that. And, it, and it, I always remember the paragraph, it goes, uh, I was always asked who's the most difficult opponent I ever faced. It was a little scouser called Mark Ward. Because, you know, and I seen him at the game last year because he was in the media room at uh, up to, uh, at the London Stadium. 
and he come out. You recognise when he come out when he put his hand out. He said, "Mark, you are my nemesis." He said, "I could never get the better of you." But uh, you know, it was great, and you, you had to be tough. I think you had to be a bit of a psycho yourself to play against them lads because you know they were very intimidating. Uh, you know, Pierce had line up line up against his wingers, and he had them big thighs. He pulled his shorts up, and he just looked menacing. And I think a lot of a lot of wingers in them days to be to be finished before they started. You know, being an Aiton lad and from a family that knows how to look after themselves, you know, he was up against it with me. Love that. Well, you eventually moved on from West Ham. It was fairly well documented that you didn't see eye to eye with Lou Macari. Um, but before Howard Kendall or before the move materialised to Everton, there were rumours of a move to Spain. How true was that and how close was it? It was very... Uh, that was the very first time I got me uh, an agent. Um, Dennis Roach and he, he was he'd come uh, with loads of recommendations and he was a lovely fella all the players had agents then and I, I'd had no agents you know what I mean so I just wanted to play football and I can't even remember what I, how much I signed for West Ham John Lyle come up to Liverpool to pick me up uh, when I signed for them and you know he looked after me big time and I had great success there but when McCarty took over for the great little player he was and you know, he just wanted a different style of play from what we're used to. And uh, I didn't get on with him from the word go. He said I couldn't get the ball off the goalkeeper and things like that. And it was just a- alien to everybody. But um, there was a, well, it wasn't a rumour. Uh, he'd sorted a deal out, Dennis, for me to go to Real Sociedad with the great Liverpool player, Toshak. And uh, was all ready to go. And it was just over the Christmas period and... Uh, you know, obviously, I knew Howard. Howard had come back to Man City, and uh, and, and then I, I knew that Reedy, had, the first player he got there was Reedy, and it was just—I think it was just before Christmas—I got a phone call. And it was eleven o'clock at night, and this was the first time I ever spoke to Howard Kendall, and because uh, you know he was like one of my heroes for what he'd done in the eighties and with, with the great side and what they'd won. And Reedy said, "Bordy, it's Peter here." I said, "All right, Peter." He went got someone to speak to you so he must just pass the phone on he said Mark it's Howard and I was just gobsmacked and I went I didn't know what to say and he went I believe you're going to Spain son don't go there it's shit I've just come back (laughs) 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 they were his first words to me he said I've just spoke to your manager he's not a very nice man is he he said he's he's allowing you to come up this is, this is great. These are great words. He's allowing for you to come up after Boxing Day to have a, a chat with me and Peter because I need a team full of Scousers to keep these up. So will you please come up? I said, I would, yeah. I, I, you know, I'd be proud to come up and speak to you. So I got the train up. And don't forget, when he took over at Man City, there were nine points to drift at the bottom. They'd just been beaten, I think it was 8-0 eight, eight by Derby or someone. So they were really, really struggling. So anyway... Drove up and uh, uh, after Boxing Day, main road was shut and him and Reedy had been making signings. So my ex-missus was with me. And uh, you know what? I went to the boardroom and I just sat down and he said, uh, what would you like to drink some? I said, no, I'm all right. I'll just have it. I want to keep it clear, Ed. And uh, I remember Jamie's wife said, uh, he said, Jamie, what would you like to drink? She said, I'll have a Quantrill lime and soda. He said, make it two, Peter. I've never tried one of them. <laughs> So straight <laughs> he's having a bevy and he's just talking 
And within two hours, I thought, I want to play for this man. Uh, so I knew straight away then. That was that's the way I was going. The, the Spanish thing had, had gone for me, and uh, you know, it took a couple of days to get the deal done because Bishop Amorley went one way, and I come, you know, I was going to Man City, and uh, you know, it, it was a great experience for me to to play. And you know what, you know, he was a great manager at Everton, but the job he did in keeping Man City up was unbelievable. You know, he he did get his scousers in because he couldn't gamble in the market. He couldn't go and, you know, take a chance on a player. He had to get players in that he knew could do a job there and then, i.e. Peter Reid, the general. He got myself in, Alan Harper, and then he went in. He went back in, not all scouts, but all Evertonians, Aidan Heath, Alan Harper. And there was this sort of, sort of, uh, you know, the backlash from the, the city supporters that he was just bringing all Everton players in. But at the end of the day... I've gone to Man City and I've done talks and I said, listen, you've got to stand up and realise how great a job he did. I said, because not many managers could do that halfway through the season, come in and keep it side up. They had great youth. They had, you know, all good young players, but they needed the experience and, you know, it was brilliant just to be part of it. Yeah, I was just going to say, Mark, as well, you've said a couple of stories there about Howard, but in the blink of an eye, Howard's back at Everton and he comes back in for you. He comes in for, for Alan Harper. Look, you're back at Everton. You're an Evertonian. Yeah. You were released by Everton, and the greatest manager in the club's history is signing you for Everton. You must have been in cloud nine. What What are your memories of that period there? Well, at City, uh, I played it. I played in the middle with Reedy the first few games, and and then he put me on the left and then the right, and because we had David White on the right, and and I always, you know, I loved his training methods, and he bought Big Quinny. Uh, later on in the season, and, and he improved Nile by two hundred percent. You know, everything was evolved around the coaching of Nile Quinn because all the other lads had a great touch. So, I just loved his methods and his and his his man management and everything. And I was so, I was absolutely devastated when he said he was going back to Everton. And I'd signed I'd signed for Man City, not because for Man City and to stay in England for Howard Kendall, mm. and or or had gone to Spain. And I was so disappointed. But uh, there was rumours going around from a lot of his friends from Liverpool who I knew, uh, Tommy Griffin people, I would want you to back at Everton and I was going, you know, just hearsay and things like that. And uh, but how it happened, the deal was, we were in, uh, we were in Cork, Man City were in Cork, uh, playing a game. And uh, Peter either gave us a day off and... Uh, it just come out the blue, really. And so I'd walked over the bridge where the hotel was to meet all the lads to have a, some Guinness and we'll have a bet and all that. Like, mm. And I was just sat, sat at the bar, just got myself a Guinness, picking my horses out. And big Sam Ellis, Reedy's uh, sidekick, come behind me and he went, tapped me on the shoulder and I went, do you want a pint? And he went, the gaffer wants you. I went, Sam, do you think I'm a dickhead? Do you think I'm going to walk all the way back to the hotel? What does he want me for? What on, on a day off. <laughs> the man, go back to the old cell, he's got some news for you. And that's all he said. I said, Sam, no chance. And he picked me pint, Sam, and drunk it in one and put it back on the bar. And then he knew, then I knew he was, you know, serious. He said, go back to the old cell, gaffer wants you. So I stormed back to the old cell with a cobble, got the lift, got to Beedy's room, knocked on the door, and he had a towel and just got out, just got out the, the shower. He went, Get on the next plane back to Liverpool. Uh, your dad's gonna sign it again. 
And I looked at him and I thought, Everton, Howard. He went, yeah. He said, we agreed the deal. Oh, you know what? It was just unbelievable. Oh, my God. I just went, he said, go on then. Fuck off. Go and have a bevy with your teammates. And he said, and, and tell your mate he's going as well, Alan Harper. And you know what? I've got goose pimples, pimples now sat here thinking about it. And that night we couldn't get a flight out. So we, we could only meet out the next day and he picked us up at Liverpool Airport and uh, he said to me, Mark, he said, I've got a, a world-class player on the right. He said, I'll, I'll play it on the left. He said, uh, I said, I'll play anywhere forever. And, uh, you know, it was, it was fantastic just to get the opportunity. And uh, I'll always be in debt to Howard to get me back there, you know. I think your home debut was against Arsenal. So so there you are, standing in a tunnel. You hear Zed cars. Not only that, you go and score two in, in a man of the match performance on your home debut. Is that up there with some of the, the best memories of your career that night? It's the best, to be honest. I'm always asked what was my greatest game of football and uh, obviously scoring against Liverpool in a derby. I, I, I got man of the match at Wembley playing for Birmingham and, you know, some great games. But to me, we that, that season we played Forest on the Saturday and uh, Stuart Pearce gave me another kick. And I was it was only a knock and I, I thought, I can't. We're playing the Champions Arsenal on the Tuesday night and I, I didn't want to go in for treatments because I didn't want... I didn't want to miss the opportunity on the on the Tuesday because that's what I'd been striving for since I was a baby, and uh, like Arsenal would, uh, you know, they won the, the, the league this season before. Strong, strong title favourites again, I think. And uh, I would say, you're playing on the left, you're playing against Lee Dixon. Don't go down the left because you can't. Because uh, I was all right-footed. Come inside, join up, join in, and pull the trigger because I had a good shot on me. And I always remember. I was nervous before the game, but this was the this was the moment I'd been waiting for. This is the moment, all the training and, and going from Northwich to Oldham, Oldham to West Ham, and back again. And uh, I just I just thought on the night I was that like hyped up. I, I, I was gonna have a, I was gonna have a good game, and uh, and it, it all went unbelievable. I always remember being in the tunnel and you're lining up, and it is very narrow and that. And then the Zed Cars music started, and it, it was like. To this day, I remember every hair on my body stood up. It was just like, this was my moment, you know, and uh, it was fantastic. It's just, it, I had that shot from 25 yards and I think my dad blew it in that night because uh, he, he died the year before and, uh, you know, never ever seen me play for Everton, but he was always there for me. And then the free kick in the second half, that was great as well. Yeah. Well, I'm asking about one player in particular, Mark. Growing up for me, he was, he was one of my favourite players and, and arguably one of the best players in, in Everton's history. Um, Neville Southall. Um, t- talk to me about Neville as, as a as a player and, and as a character, because he was certainly that as well, wasn't he? Yeah, me and Neville had this... Neville wouldn't suffer fools and he, he was one of them. He, he wanted everybody to give what he give. And he was the first in and last out. And me and him were always first in. And I loved me training. So our schedule was like... We'd go, we'd go up, we'd get a cup of, cup of tea off Mary, some toast, and we'd go down and play head tennis, which is a great game to play for, for your touch. You bounce the ball, volley it over, you got two touches, and Neville was brilliant at it. But he wasn't as good as me, but we just, you know, we'd, we'd batter each other. And we'd be doing that an hour. Never had a nickname for everybody. You know, obviously he didn't drink, but he was always there out with the lads. And, you know, the hardest trainer, and what a goalkeeper. You know, I'm always asked to play with some great goalkeepers, but he was head and shoulders above everybody. But he was a strong character and uh, he didn't 
tough with fields and I've got some great little, like I always remember Mike Walker when he got us all together and uh, Mike was never at the training ground. It's just like he'd come out of Burton's window being, being on the sunbed. And I always remember that on a Thursday we'd finished and he, all the lads had finished, we all stood there sweating. He goes, right lads, uh, we're leaving tomorrow after training as he goes to Tottenham. Uh, any questions? And by this time, everyone had, you know, we just knew he wasn't good enough to be the manager of Everton and the job was too big for him. And we just stood there looking at him and uh, he couldn't wait to turn on his heels. And I've said, no questions, Gaffer, but you've got the fucking warmest bed in Liverpool. <laughs> and I'm going, I'm at the front like that going, yes, because that, that's, what, that's what Nev was like, you know what I mean? And a lot of people don't like him for it, but his, his main thoughts and everything else is for the club. So I'm looking at my, my manager and thinking, and he looked at Nev, and I knew, because he knows what Nev was all about, he couldn't take Nev on. And he just looked and just turned, just turned away and walked away. And I knew from that day he was finished. Just that one remark, and it was what everybody else wanted to say, but Nev had the balls and, you know, to, to say it like. But you know, I, I fell out with him. It's, it's quite a famous story. The man had a bit of an ego. And uh, like all the great managers, you knew where his car was parked. So how did he expect it? You know, Howard parked his car there, Harry Katzik, Billy Bingham, them all. And this day, finished training. And the, the ground staff are putting a big M, W, on the parking space. And I thought, MW, that's minus. <laughs> so the next morning, he was never in, he's never in till 11, 12 o'clock, where Howard was always in, like, well before everybody else. He'd have his sauna, his cigar, his glass of champagne, meet you at the door. I'd come in with a black eye, someone would give me a belt at the weekend. They'd go, good weekend, son. You know what I mean? It's just like, <laughs> it's just the way we were. But this fella had this ego. So I, in the morning, I, I drove in, and I, all the lads are there, and I just went and parked my car, where it said MW. And they're all laughing, they're all going, you won't leave that there. I went, fucking. I said, I said, I'll be gone but by the time he comes in. Anyway, this day he must have come in early for, to park his car and my car was there. And he summoned me off the training field. And this is just my career over at Everton. And uh, I got into his office and he went, are you trying to be funny, son? I said, what are you on about? He said, move your fucking car. I said, it says MW. He went, yeah, that's Mike Walker. I said, you know what? You're a bad manager. He said, wow. you've got a bad attitude, son. I said, no, I've not got a bad attitude. I said, wouldn't be here if I had a bad attitude, but you won't be here much longer because you're a bad manager. I never kicked a football for Everton Football Club after that. So maybe I was a bit like Neville. And so, 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 <laughs> well, well, back to Neville. Snod's told us a little story about it. Yeah, but Neville not liking to be chipped. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, this, is, this sums him up. As a you know, as a competitor, as like I think it was the second day training, and Snods, you know what a character Snods is, great mate of mine. So I'm in, I'm just in front of him, in lining up to knock the ball into Howard. He knocks it off, and it's a shoot practice exercise for, for Neville. And Nev took it. You know, I'd only been there two days, so I was just sussing out everybody, everybody's character, who's the strong ones, and all that. Like so, I knew I knew a few of the lads anyway. And I love shooting practice because, you know, if I no one had, had to ask me twice to pull the ticket and I ever had the opportunity from distance. Anyway, knocked up, uh, he knocked me on the shoulder. He said, Wardy, 
bet you the tenner you can't chip nerve. I went, fucking, what's <laughs> this? <laughs> Set me up big time. So I knock the ball into Howard, he knocks it off. And as I go up to strike it, I just stop and I just go, dink, because he's off his line, he's expecting a hard shot. I dink, and it goes right into the top corner. And I just turn around to the lads like that. And they're all like, none of them's, none of them's got eye contact with me. They're all looking down on the floor. <laughs> turn around, and Neb sprinting towards me. It's going to knock me over, so I start running up the, up the pitch. And he's going, I'm fucking going to get you. You better stop now. And I'm going. So I'm just running around Belfield and he's just jogging behind me. Now, first lap, second lap, three laps of Belfield. And it's a long way, isn't it? And everyone's <laughs> I was laughing and I was shouting, Nev, don't hurt him. He's got a game on Saturday. And he said, Mark, you better stop because I'm going to follow you home. <laughs> <laughs> Is he for fucking real here? I've only checked him. So I thought, anyway, I thought I'll have to stop and get me medicine. Anyway, I stopped. Right, because what made it worse for me was, because it was a bit, a bit cheeky, I was letting him get really near to me because he was never going to catch me. And he was grabbing me and just nearly grabbing me top. And I was going, hey, you're not going to catch me, hey. And all the lads <laughs> going, Whoa. So it was making it even more madder. Anyway, when he stopped, I, I stopped and he stopped. So he picked me up. We weighed 10 stone when I was playing. Picked me up and threw me on the floor and started standing on me. Honestly, God, and all the lads come round and I would drag them off. I had big stud marks on me back and everything. He went, don't ever fucking ship me again. And I just, <laughs> I was on the floor, said, I went to Snuds. Thanks, Snuds. Cheers for that, mate. <laughs> that, that shows you what he was all about, Nev. And uh, yeah. we become great friends. And, uh, you know, our... our you know, pre-match rituals and, and everything else. He was just, just. A, I, I even trained when I broke my ankle in two places and had all this, the plates and screws took out. I would say you, you're training with Ned for a week because you can't go into any tackles yet. And I swear to God, the training that he went through was so not physically demanding. And that's how you know that's what he put himself through. He was a fantastic goalkeeper. Yeah, I mean, we've like like Gary said there, we've had Ian Snowden on the show, and he was telling us some stories of the social side of being part of a Howard Kendall team. I think Howard, in his own autobiography, says he was big on the players being friends and, and having Chinese meals and stuff. Is there any any good stories you can tell us about the social side of being part of Howard's team? Yeah, yeah, I remember uh, this is how we dealt with people in the press. Tony Cotty, for all a great player he was, Tony had done a piece in Sunday paper. And it was more or less saying that the midfield was shit. I'm not getting the chances. There's no creativity, this, that, the other. So Howard frowned upon that because we're all together, aren't we? It takes a team to score a goal. It takes a team to defend. And, you know, Tony was very... I played with him at West Ham. Great striker, but, you know, he's his own man. But it was a bit naughty what he put. So I would had a meeting. And he said, right, everyone... uh, got to go to the Chinese tonight uh, and we weren't playing that well at the time he said so he said uh, you're paying for the Chinese for the, all the players and the staff pointing to Tony and I'm going yes fucking hell night out and all that he said and you're paying for all the fucking drinks because you keep on getting into trouble because I, I was getting into a bit of trouble when I was going out and that I went well fair enough then so and then we all ended up in this Chinese in uh, in Southport and it got it got messy, but I would love it all because it was Tony was at the bottom of the table, never ate a thing, never drunk a thing, but he had to be there. Uh, if he didn't turn up, he got fined. So it was a way of how we're dealing with, you know, issues um, that you know players 
you know, because really what Tony's article was saying is that he didn't respect the, the, the players around him and you can't do that. And that was Howard's way. He was brilliant at it. And obviously we had our famous uh, fancy dress parties which, mm -hmm. uh, at the, the Continental. And there's, there's a very famous story when I shot Barry Horn. The, uh, <laughs> he was dressed as the Pope. You know, I, I did go to prison for something I did wrong, but I could have been in prison a lot earlier uh, because, you know, really when I think about it, when I look back, you know, Ebo, John Ebel was punching me and running off and it was two o'clock in the morning. We'd been out since 12 o'clock uh, that day. And, you know, these 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 events or these gatherings as with players, that, that's what builds, you know, team spirit. And, uh, you know, even never went to them, but he, he wasn't dressed as a, as anybody because he didn't drink, but he wouldn't go as, as anybody. I said to him on that night and he chased me that, uh, aren't you a bin man? Aren't you dressed up as a bin man? <laughs> and he chased me all <laughs> But uh, yeah, I, I bumped into the, it was Dave Watson's next door neighbour, who was dressed as a cowboy, and I'd had enough of Ebo running up and punching me. So I just turned around, and this big cowboy's there, and I just grabbed the gun out of the holster, and like apparently he was shouting, "Don't shoot the gun! Don't shoot the gun!" But you know, being in a nightclub, I didn't hear that. And eventually, I was looking for Ebo, and I, I bumped into Barry Horn dressed as the Pope. And Nev stood next to him and a couple of other lads. And he's, he asked me why I had the gun. I said, because I'm going to swap Nev over the head with it. He said, he just keeps on punching me and on and off. And he said, well, I'll just shoot the Pope. I was about a yard away and I just I just pulled the trigger. And the blast and the noise, it was unbelievable. It was deafening. Barry just shot back here on the bar. His tunic went on fire, right? And I think it was Roy Wright. Uh, he was on the floor. And you know when you... You know, I, I'd never, sh I've never shot a gun before, and I thought, "Oh my God, what have I done?" And I, everyone, women there screaming, all the bouncers come round, and, and what it was, the guy I brought a gun to a fancy desk, but it had a blank bullet in it. Now, a blank bullet, you know nothing about them, but they can kill you if you, you know what I mean, with the impact. Uh, so, if I'd have shot John in the head, if I'd have got hold of him, I mean, that, that's just what. These are the stories that went on, and. Oh my God. Uh, he had a bruise. Barry brought his, his costume in the next day and he threw it at my feet. He said, I'm not paying for that. And when he, when he lifted his T-shirt up, he had a bruise on his chest. So, you know, these are the, these are the things that we used to get up, up to. But, uh, you know, it was all, all part of being a, an Everton player. Well, around that time, Mark, the, the Football League became the Premier League. Um, what what did at the time? What, what did you make of that as players? Does it make any difference here? Was it was it as big a deal as I suppose later on it became to be? No, not at first. I don't think. No, I think it just got its momentum, didn't it? At first, it was just like being the first division to the Premier League, and uh, it was still the top league. But um, I think I was at Everton then, wasn't I? Still at ninety, yeah, ninety two, yeah, 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 yeah. Still at Everton. So really, it didn't really mean much to me, to be honest. And you know. I'm just looking back at your career and think regrets. I think I should have stayed at Everton a little bit longer before my, I knew Mike Walker was going to go, but when was he going to go? And I wanted just to play football and, uh, you know, just my luck that Big Joe turned up, didn't he? And, uh, you, know, it, you know, me and Joe had a great relationship from all my, my time at Oldham. And I think, I think I'd, I'd like to have played in that Everton FA Cup victory that season, you know what I mean? And, and, and instead, I was trying to help Birmingham City stay up. And uh, well, these are the choices that you make in football. But uh, you know, I just wanted to play. 
Yeah, I mean, again, referencing back to our, our podcast with Ian Snowden, we asked him a question about Billy Kenny, and Snod's basically said it was just a horrible situation. It, it was a real shame. You know, he went from being the next big thing to slowly form, falling out of the game, you know, demons, if you will. Can you give us some thoughts on what happened to Billy? Because he was tip for stardom, wasn't he, at first? He was a really good player. Yeah, Billy, me and Billy got on really well, and, uh, you know, I've met him a lot after after football and that, you know what I mean? So uh, we all we all tried to help him and he was a character. He was a typical scouser, uh, you know, dead. I always remember like his humour, Billy's humour was was off the scale. And uh, I always remember we're, we're all in, we're all warming up in a circle. And I was this big kid and uh, he had these, we're in, in the gym and he had these big uh, trainers on. But they looked about like four sizes too big for him. And it was a big lump, and, and Billy just turned around and said, Hey, mate, they're Mamba, Samba, and Bamba all in one. <laughs> you know what I mean? It was just like, it was, <laughs> they were massive, big uh, black and white uh, Adidas trainers. And, you know, I remember going in one morning, Billy, uh, on, a, on the Monday, he'd been in the team, and uh, I don't know where he'd been. Probably hadn't been home, and he was drunk. I mean, properly drunk. So me and Nev, uh, Nev went straight upstairs, and I went, when I seen him, I thought, oh, my God. Can't let the staff see me, so I ran up to get Nev. He come down, and he could hardly speak. And we picked it. Well, Nev picked him up, and threw him into the cold plunge, you know, by the, the sauna, and uh, just stood over him, and, you know, trying to get him to sober up. So you know, it was, it was really unfortunate because Billy would have been a great player, no, no doubt, no doubt about it. Well, well Mark, we, we can't we can't not ask you about the the Merseyside derby in '93, and, and before. Before we get your account of it, I'm just going to give you a little anecdote on my behalf. I, I at that time I was I just turned eight years old and I was in I was on holiday with my mum and dad in in Malta, and um, I'd been to a few games. I'd probably been to about a handful of games before then, and I'll be honest, it was always either fucking freezing, we were shite, or or both at the same time. And uh, I remember my dad took me to the, this bar in Malta to watch the game and. There was, there was me and my dad and there was this other fella and his son and about 80 reds in this bar. So we're sitting there and I'm thinking, oh, there we go. We're going to get swatted by Liverpool and I'll be sitting here, you know, amongst them all. And obviously, you know, you pop up, get that goal. And I, I, mean, I remember watching my dad jump up and, and I'm looking at his face and thinking, what hell? And then, and then I get into it and obviously we get the seconds. And, and after that game, that was me. I was hooked. And, and you know, I, you know, everyone always says, oh, yeah, thanks to me, Dad, for, for me being a, a blue and whatever. And, and that's obviously true. But I think you, you, you've got to take some credit for it as well, Mark, or the blame, depending on what you do. Yeah, well, I, you know, it's to score a goal in, in the derby. It's, it's every, everyone's dream, isn't it? You know, whether they're Everton in all Liverpool. And I remember the game. I would say to me... Uh, you know, the goal, I used to take corners from one side, but Inscliff took them on the other. And he said, just, I want you on the edge of the box, do your job, son. If the ball comes out, get onto it. He said, be the first, get onto it. And uh, luckily enough for me, uh, if you remember the goal, everyone remembers the goal because of the fight. Yeah, yeah. But I didn't see that until uh, later on in the evening, watching Match of the Day at my brother's pub. But it's Stevie Mack. I thought he was unfortunate. He cleared it, but he's cleared it to the edge of the box. But Mark Walters, the ball bounced between me and him. And like, if you want a player to, to run onto who's there, and it was, and I, I was going to take him the ball and everything. And when you think, I just concentrated on 
getting a good strike at the ball. And it only went a yard off the floor, but it caught it a cracker. And it just it just went past everybody before you knew it was in the back of the net. And uh, you know, I just ran ran to the halfway line. Didn't see the, uh, the little uh, handbags with them too, but uh, you know, it was great watching it in the evening in, in my brother's pub and uh, didn't realise that it caused a fight. <laughs> but that was a very, very commanding performance by us. I think we should have won about four or five, to be honest, on the day. And then Tony scores the second. And, you know, had some, you know, my career at Everton, you know, we had some great players, uh, but we weren't consistent enough. And I remember playing at Old Safford and beating United there. I think that was 3-0. And, uh, yeah. you know, what a great performance that was. Uh, but this is, this sums Howard up as a coach. As well, you know, he was a great footballer, great man manager, great coaching. Uh, Kanchelskis was on fire that that time, at that time, and he was playing. A... So he said to me and Alan Harper, "Right, you're both right-footed, but you're playing left side, Mark, and Alan, you're playing left back. Kanchelskis always comes inside, so come show him, show him outside. Right, if he comes inside, you tackle him with your right peg. Both your strong sides, just." Just give him a corridor and let him run down there, see what happens. You know what? Got brought off because we give him the opportunity to go down down the wing and he didn't want to know because he, he couldn't do it. So as he as he was bringing the ball back inside, we were we were robbing the ball off him. And to me, that sums Howard up as a, as a great coach because he's seen the danger and he stuffed that out by playing to do a job on him, you know? Love that. We played, another example of that is we played Liverpool in a Tuesday night game. And uh, I got him, and uh, he said to me, "Mark, I've got a job for you tonight. You're Mark and Fatso." I went, "Oh, so I knew it wasn't Ian Rush." He said, "Listen, he's going into the back four. He's spreading the ball around, and uh, he said, just don't give him a kick." He said, "He, he can't run. He's just stand on his toes for ninety minutes." <laughs> and I was good at uh, carrying orders out, so I w- <laughs> ran onto the pitch, and I went straight up to Mulby, and I just stood. I actually stood on his toes, and he went. <laughs> Fucking, what are you doing? And he's calling all sorts. One of Ken's dots, did he, man? Uh, <laughs> everything. I mean, verbally, he pounded me. You know what I mean? So, But I wasn't one for verbals, and uh, I just didn't give him a kick. And it, it was a nil-nil game, and afterwards he said, you know, you've done your job, and sometimes you've got to do it for the team. Yeah, you've covered there, Mark. Already, you've covered Mike Walker and, and, and even Everton, and, and possibly you, you might have outlasted Mike and been part of it. But you moved on to Birmingham. You played under Barry Fry, and then you went to to Iceland as well as a FC Valor. You played for. You've got to have some good stories for us from Iceland and play for Barry Fry as well, Birmingham. Oh yeah, but Barry. God, you know what? I spoke to him a couple of months ago because he was. I'm not far from Southend, so. He was there for years, so we're trying to get something going, you know, like a, a night with Barry Fry and Mark Ward. So, yeah, you know, the reason why I went to Birmingham, David Sullivan, um, he was instrumental. He's the chairman now at uh, West, Ham, West Ham. And they were more or less dead and buried, and uh, they just wanted me to go at the end of the season for the last 10 games. And uh, I thought to myself, well, I'm not going to get a game now. I fell out with him, so I'll just go to the end of the season. And I went and... Uh, they hadn't won a game for three months and had played centre mid and beat Middlesbrough 3 0. And uh, they won eight, drew one, and lost one. So they missed staying up by goal difference and, uh, you know, done really well, changed their season round. And uh, Sullivan offered me the uh, player managers, uh, play coaches job. Um, I said, What about Barry? He said, Don't worry about Barry. 
He said, I'll, I'll deal with that. I said, no, I said, listen, I can come in to step into my coaching career. And, uh, and Barry was against it at first, but obviously uh, we had a successful season. We won the second division, went to Wembley. and uh, But, you know, he was he accused me of trying to take his job, very insecure. Uh, but, you know, one thing about him, very eccentric. We had 58 professionals at the club that year, 58. Wow. He was buying or two. Two ex-teams. He's bought 22 players from his two ex-clubs, Southend and Barnet. And a lot of them were never going to get a game, you know what I mean? So it was just, uh, that's just the way he was. It was it was, a, it was only a matter of, there's a lot of adversaries he was going to pick a decent one. But, you know, we had a good side. And I enjoyed being at Birmingham and, uh, you know, quite successful. And I always thought, you know, to be the play coach of a side like that with so many professionals, you know, I was thrown in at the deep end, but really enjoyed it and was successful as well. How the hell did you end up in Iceland playing football? Yeah, well, I hadn't played for about 12 months and it was uh, David Moyes' brother, Kenny. Yeah. He got hold of me and, he, and um, I'd got a, a pub by this time and wasn't really in a good state of frame of mind. And and he just said, Mark, do you want to come to Iceland? And I, you know, when he said Iceland, I thought, I didn't really didn't, didn't even know he played football there. I thought it was a supermarket. And... Uh, so I went out there and really enjoyed it. I was there for like three or four months. And yeah. uh, one good players, uh, Ida Gunn Johnson was out there at the time. He went to Bolton and then he had a great career at Chelsea and Barcelona. Mm-hmm. Uh, a, a weird place, very expensive. But, you know, at that time, uh, I wasn't doing much in my life. And, uh, you know, it was probably a good time for me to go out there and play. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. And again, referencing your book, um, which is an amazing read, from right wing to B wing, or it's called Hammered, depending on on where you're buying the book. Your time at Altrincham, coaching and managing. So, how did you find that side of the game, going from playing to managing? Well, you know, I'd done the, I'd done all my uh, my coaching at Birmingham, and it was a great opportunity for me. And when you're at that level, it, it is difficult, and uh, they just got relegated from the conference, so the wage bill had to be slashed. So I had three centre-forwards on 500 quid a week and they weren't good enough. And really, I sold Kevin Ellison uh, that season to Leicester City in the Premiership uh, for 150 grand. The club needed uh, money to pay a tax bill. I sold my captain uh, back to Northwich. I sold my best player, uh, Danny Adams, to Macclesfield. So I brought in nearly 200 grand's worth of, of, you know, and then you're working with youngsters and, you know, I had to bring some young lads in from Liverpool and Everton who'd been let go. And that was my sort of, that's what I wanted, like a stepping stone for, for players who, who like myself, have been let go. Yeah. I'm prepared to come down to the conference and work hard and, you know, you know have a new career there and wear themselves back back up, up the divisions because that's what you've got to do. You know, if you leave Everton and Liverpool, you, you just can't expect to go and walk into another side because... Yeah. The quality down, down below these divisions is very, very good. You've got, you, you know, you've got to prove yourself. Mm. And uh, there was a little, there was a little player there called Ian Craney. He went on. Uh, he was only sixteen, and I played him in, in midfield with me. And he went on to have a good league career. And there's a few others that went on and played, you know, league football. But I never got the opportunity because politics at that level, you know, in the boardroom, mm. uh, the chairman who took me there, he resigned, and then the the old uh, one of the board members went in as the chairman and, and put his dad in charge of the team. And, you know, luckily enough for me, the PFA, you know, backed me up because, I, I, you know, it was I shouldn't have been sacked uh, or let go. 
and uh, I got all my money. That was, you know, that was owed to me. But the damage that was done was irreparable, really, because it was my first job. And I always look back and think, you know, if, I, if I'd have had uh, more support, I'd have gone on and been a decent manager. Yeah, well, it, it sounds like I, I was reading the book and looking at some online articles as well, and, and it's backed up by some of the reports I've read online. Um, I think you went to Australia to try and get things moving again, and just to give our listeners a bit of insight, we never ever reveal any sort of private conversations between us and guests, but we did ask Mark if, if he's happy to, to speak about non-football things and that, that part of his life, and Mark did say we can ask him anything. So from 2005 to 2009, uh, anyone who's not aware, Mark went to prison for what he describes in his book as a serious lapse in in, in judgment. Um, but Mark, you, you're walking into to Walton Prison as an ex-Everton player, a Walton Prison is in Liverpool. I imagine that's got some advantages, but also some disadvantages as well. Yeah, I always remember on the Saturday, I thought I was going to get bail, but obviously they, they didn't grant bail. So uh, I'm in uh, the van going to Walton and uh, I always remember there was other, other lads from the court going there and it just hits on me then. Oh, I'm going to prison and, uh, you know, you start, you've got to start thinking, uh, you know, what's going to happen. And uh, yeah. I remember they had the radio on and it, it come on straight on the news. I've been re- remanded in custody and, and that was a, a bit sobering. And then mm. when I get to the when I get to the prison, I don't know if these screws were Liverpoolians, but uh, they weren't very nice. But I, I didn't expect them to be. <laughs> I just got to got to the desk, and one of them said, "You're going to spend a long time with us, son." And uh, this is before, and you know things like that. Uh, it, the prison was full to the rafters, uh, and I waited hours and hours before I got allocated where I was going, and uh, I ended up. First couple of weeks on the on the on a wing, uh, not the the remand wing, on the uh, the lifers wing, mm. and when it, when you stand with all your all your stuff, your bed and everything else, and you, you look at this big red door and it's got lifers, then you know uh, for sure that you're in trouble and you know what's going to come ahead. But you know it, it was part of my life that it's in the past now and uh, made me a better person. Uh, yeah, you know, done me prison time as best I could. And, uh, you know, I've done the four years and, you know, the last two years I was out of the prison working. So because it wasn't a threat to society, I just made a yeah. big mistake. Yeah. I mean, some some of the best stories in your book are about your time there. I mean, you were determined to prove some guards wrong doing bleep tests and getting fit. You, you were beating people at soft tennis who had never been beat before. And it was just like you, you turned a negative into like a positive. You know, look according to your book, was so positive. Another great story that you sell looked like William Hill. On a Saturday, they were all betting for tea bags and things. And can you just give us a couple of, of, of like, uh, not happier times, but some of the, how you were so positive during that period? Well, I think the, uh, you know, I, I, I was, they never let me out myself till there. I went in the May and I, and I come out in the October, uh, I was at like 23 hours a day. And, and then I, I got the opportunity to go to the gym. And I just thought, you know, I've been sentenced, so I knew I had three and a half years to go. And, and I just thought, Mark, you've got to be positive here and, you know, don't let yourself down and just do the, the prisoners as good as you can. And uh, so really I focused everything on, on you know, when I got the, went to the gym, I just ran on the run machine, pushed myself to the limit. And then uh, I seen this advert to say, the, the fittest man in the prison competition and the strongest. So I said to my cellmate, I'm going to win that. And, uh, you know, obviously I trained really hard as much as I could. And then on the, the first the first uh, exercise was the bleep test, which I'd done for years as a footballer. And 
I remember getting to level 14. It was me and this young kid. He was a boxer and uh, got to level 14, 14 and a half. And I, I dropped him and I was just in the zone, just sprinting up and down the, the gym. And the, the screw said to me, Mark, you've won it. Just stop. He said, you've got all the other exercises to do. And, you know, I've done well on that. And, you know, for me, it was just a personal challenge that gave me something to focus on. And I won it. I won £10 <laughs> so I could buy myself a few things off the canteen and the... Uh, I think I was always good at that, of being able to push myself. And I think my football background helped me, really. And I think being in prison, a lot of people can't deal with it because it's, it's a very brutal place. Yeah. But uh, I think being in the in, in the dressing room for all them years, you know, all male dominated and, you know, you, you give stick out. I think that helped me uh, because a lot of people can't, can't, can't do it. And there was a lot of suicides when I was there. But I just tried to help people as much as I could. You know, if you're a good person on the inside... Um, you know, she shouldn't have any problems and it didn't. But yeah, you know, this game called soft tennis and mm. I, I beat a screw uh, who hadn't been beaten in 12 years playing it. And I said to him, I want to beat you before I leave the prison. And I beat him and he, he said, you're a little bastard. He said, uh, he said, I haven't been beaten in 12 years. He said, but he said, you didn't give up, did you? But yeah. these little things mean a lot because it gets you through, it gets you through the system. No, it, it was such a, a great read and, and those stories in particular. So anyone who's listening who hasn't read Mark's book, go online and, and search for it from right wing to B wing or hammered. The uh, the prison, uh, the one in Walton, I've done so well in Walton and I didn't want to move because you get settled, but you have to go through the system. And uh, I always remember the screw coming to me and saying, uh, Mark, uh, the, the, the governor wants you. So I thought I was going to get moved. So I go into the governor's office and he said, Mark, he was a Liverpool thing, by the way. I got on all right with him. He was okay. He went, Mark, your cell's like Labrooks on a Saturday. So he said, because I had the big, te- I had a telly and a teletext and all that. And uh, he goes, come on, you know there's no gambling. He said, they're all shouting at the telly as if they're in the boofies. He said, just care a bit. He said, because what the, the lads would do, put half an ounce of tobacco up. That was the, the currency or, okay. you know, the currency of the day. It was usually tobacco. And uh, it was just something that, you know, it's, to, to look at really because it, it is it is a difficult situation to be in you know you, you've got to keep your, your mind occupied yeah well look we started the show by by saying that you're an Evertonian so so what do you make of the team this season and the manager because to me it feels a lot different than false stones in the past we've got a billionaire owner we've got Carlo Angelotti we've got a really good team how impressed are you with this current Everton team and and where do you think it can go well like yourself and uh all the Evertonians, because obviously I take as many games in as I can when I'm up north and Everton invite me back and the club have been brilliant with me, you know. Uh, my sister's got motor neurons disease and it's a terrible disease and the club helped me uh, raise a lot of money. Uh, West Ham did in Man City uh, to, to build a downstairs bedroom and, and that. And I always love, love going back to Goodison. It's yeah. fantastic. And I just wish that the fans have, would have had the opportunity to watch this side because, you know, We've been waiting for a long time for something like this. And yeah. I really think, you know, barring injuries, that we if we can finish in the top six, top four would be unbelievable. Uh, you know, Leicester City won it a few years back and they're up there again. Listen, if Leicester can win it, you know, off the cuff, as I'd say, Everton can. Uh, I just thought we can add to the squad uh, and keep a, you know, a consistent sort of squad together. You know, we started off brilliantly, uh, Listen, the manager's no fool. He's been and done it all wherever he's gone. And yeah. he's, he's had a bit of time to bed in, brought some great players in. And, uh, you know, a lot of clubs don't give managers time. 
And I just like the way he talks. Uh, you know, it's simple. He's a, and Howard was the same. Very simple. Uh, not a not a great talker, and you know, blabbering off after the games and all that. Just you know what he said. You know, he meant and uh, Ancelotti. I think he's he's been a great acquisition for the club. Yeah, no, it, it feels it feels definitely different to me this time. F- fingers crossed. Um, yeah, we, we don't want to keep it too much longer. We, we really appreciate you coming on and, and giving us your time, especially on you know, the weekend. We just add a, a couple of couple of names of, of players and coaches that you that you've been around, and just see if you can give us some some quick quick thoughts on them. Uh, first of all, Peter Beardsley. Peter Beardsley, oh Peter, what a what a player! Uh, yeah. When he when he signed, it was like it, this is how good Peter was. If he was on his side in training, he was on the winning team. He was unbelievable. I don't think he realised how good he was. Uh, and what a gentleman. You know, on a way trips, he'd, he'd go to Marks and Spencer's and buy all the sandwiches and cakes and give them to the lads as they were playing cards. And, you know, if we were out for a night out, he'd keep the kitty because he didn't drink. And it, if you were really drunk, he'd make sure you got to your room. Just, you know, little things like that. These things, like, a lot of the fans don't realise. But what a player. And, uh, you know, mm. I think he's in one of my all-time ever players that have played with. Fantastic player. Uh, your old skipper, Dave Watson. Oh, waggy, hard as nails. Uh, you know, one of them, one of them captains that you, you know. Usually, I always think a captain should be a centre half. It's an old, I know it's old fashioned, but they're the hard men. They're the ones who can see everything from the back. And uh, yeah. you know, he's another one. He's, that'd be my all time eleven. Uh, quick, strong, aggressive, uh, could organise, gentleman, brilliant, just like the Brian LeBone. Uh, so, someone that we'd done a podcast with that was two and a half hours and, and we were just hooked on every word, uh, Mr. Colin Harvey. Colin. Yeah, Colin was instrumental of me coming back to the club, to be honest, because he was, the, he was the reserve team manager when I left the club. And at the time, when you think, at 18, you know, I wasn't, you know, I was ne- never going to get in the first team at Everton. And so, you know, coaches and managers, they have to make decisions and say, well, yeah, we don't think he's good enough. And, you know, fair play to Colin. And, uh, you know, I'll come back nearly 10 years to the day and uh, he just greeted me, you know, give me a hug. And, uh, you know, I think I was like Colin's type of player, you know, full-blooded, give, give me all. And what a player and coach he was. Colin was a great coach, fantastic coach. Got the best out of players. And, and lastly, Mr Everton, the legend, someone who's, who's got a movie about the team that he built in the 80s, Mr Howard Kendall. Listen, you know, I, I always share this story with people. He'd come to visit me uh, in the Rochdale prison. And me and Howard were so close, he'd sit next to me on the, on the, on the, the you know, on away games. He'd, he'd want to sit next to me. And they'd all, all the lads would take the piss out of me saying, your dad wants to sit next to you and he'd play cards and have a bevy. Uh, I, think, I think with me, he just, you know, he knew my commitments and I was 100% and I'd play anywhere. So, but when he... When I knew that he was coming to uh, the prison, I was so nervous because when you're when you're in prison, you always look up the people that you've let down, and he was one of them. I thought, well, you know, what would he be thinking? And he come up, and uh, when I walked into the visit hall, there was big dunk Tommy Griffin Howard, and uh, I sat down, and I always remember these words. He went, "Listen, son, nothing's changed between me and you. I'm here for you now, and I'm here for you when you get out." And I just think, you know what I mean? What could you? That's for more than that. You know, that was a man who uh, bought me twice for a million quid, uh, gave me my best uh, memories of, of football. And, you know, I'm, when I got out, I was, he was there for me then. And uh, he was a great human being, not just coach and, 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 and as a player. 
No, absolutely brilliant. Mark, I think it's it's a great place to to end the show. I think this podcast is going to go out to everyone on Merseyside. There's going to be fans in London and Manchester and Birmingham listening to this podcast because you're on it. Do you have a, a final message for the Evertonians and, and, and supporters of the previous clubs you've played for as well? Well, I think for the, us Evertonians, just to believe, I think we've got to believe in this team and, you know, I can't wait to go back to Goodison. I hope we get our move to the new stadium and I hope mm. it's not like the West Ham Stadium. Uh, they've got to do it right. Uh, I feel sorry for the West Ham fans because they do a short change because that stadium is an athletic stadium. And I think, you know, everyone misses Upton Park, but West Ham are doing so well at the moment. Yeah. Uh, under Moisey, you know, he's been given time now and he's been given the opportunity to bring his own players in. And you've got to do that. But well, everybody wants success straight away and you can't have it. Ferguson didn't have it. Howard didn't have it at Everton. Uh, you know, even Klopp. So, you know, a true supporter will support the club through thick and thin. And I think we've got a great manager and a great bunch of players at the moment. And if we can finish in the top six, top four, let's push on for next season then when we can all go back to Goodison. Yeah, no, Billy, Mark, it's been an absolute pleasure. Like I said, I, I grew up watching you. I was there when you put that ball in against that lot of the Gladys Street. It's been a pleasure to speak to you. Thanks for joining us on Across the Park podcast. Thank you very much. Cheers. <laughs>